Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the Raskin Family Fund, with additional funding from Robert Conrad, Cleveland State University, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Good afternoon and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. I'm Gina Abercrombie-Winstanley, former ambassador to Malta and a proud City Club member. It's my pleasure to introduce today's forum, a conversation on the past, present, and future relationship between Ohio and the United Arab Emirates. With His Excellency Yusuf Eloteba, UAE Ambassador to the United States, and Dr. Tomislav Mihailovic, CEO of Cleveland Clinic. Over the past 40 years, the United States and the United Arab Emirates have developed a close alliance built on security, prosperity, and a common outlook, as well as a robust trade relationship. During the last several years, Ohio and the UAE have forged a prosperous relationship. As of 2016, Ohio was the seventh largest state exporter to the UAE and in 2017 exported more than $600 million worth of merchandise. This was a 29% increase since 2003. These exports, including aerospace products, chemicals, passenger vehicles, and jet propellers and turbines, support more than 4,000 Ohio jobs. As a result, many Ohio companies, including the Cleveland Clinic, Jones Day and limited brands have an increased presence in the UAE. We have the Cleveland Clinic with us today to share their experiences with opening Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi in May of 2015 by way of a partnership with the Mubadala Investment Company. We'll discuss what other Ohio business can learn from their experiences and how continued unrest in the Middle East could affect future decision making. With that, let's meet our speakers. His Excellency Yusuf Eloteba took up his Washington-based post in July 2008. In his role, Ambassador Oteba enhanced UAE-US relations and improved bilateral security and economic cooperation. In addition to leading efforts to increase military intelligence and counterterrorism cooperation between the two countries, he also played a critical role to facilitate the landmark US-UAE Agreement for Peaceful Civilian Nuclear Energy Cooperation, also known as the 123 Agreement, and it came into force in 2009. Well done. Dr. Tomislav Mihailovic became President and Chief Executive Officer of Cleveland Clinic this last January. Congratulations. You're welcome. He joined Cleveland Clinic in 2004 as a cardiothoracic surgeon specializing in minimally invasive and robotically assisted cardiac surgeries. Since 2015, Dr. Mihailovic has served as CEO of Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi, overseeing the hospital strategy and operations as the first U.S. multi-specialty hospital to be replicated outside of North America including directly managing the hospital's strategy and business development programs. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Members and friends of the City Club of Cleveland, please join me in welcoming His Excellency Yusuf Aloteba, UAE Ambassador to the United States, and Cleveland Clinic CEO, Dr. Tomislav Mihailovich. Okay, so I'm going to start with you, Yusuf. We have a number of top medical facilities in this country, and I wanted to ask you what made a partnership with the Cleveland Clinic attractive for the UAE? So we've started sending UAE patients to Cleveland Clinic many, many years ago. And uh, so that relationship began, I think, well over two decades ago. In the last couple of years, the Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland uh, treated and looked after over a thousand Emirati patients. And there is a sort of a regular uh, flow of Emiratis that come here. In the summer of 2000, our late president, Sheikh Zayed, the founder of the UAE, spent, I think, seven or eight months, if I'm not mistaken here, mm -hmm. getting a kidney transplant. We all lived in Cleveland. He lived in Cleveland for about eight months. I spent a month here. My boss spent almost two months here. So we got to know Cleveland uh, at a very difficult time. That partnership, or the idea of that partnership, began then. After, after Sheikh Zayed came home, um, we began exploring the idea of building something like a Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi. It took some time, took a, a while for us to get to what we have today in place, but I think the idea was sparked through that period where we spent so much time here, got to know Cleveland, got to know the clinic, and got to know the people of the city. Okay, all right, so those personal relationships. Tom, how does the clinic's perspective dovetail with what we've just heard? From your perspective, and of course your long tenure there, what's working well in this relationship? There are very many things that are working well in our close relationship with, uh, with the uh, leadership of the United Arab Emirates and the people of the UAE and our partners in Mubadala. Uh, I had a good fortune of uh, living in the United Arab Emirates in Abu Dhabi for almost seven years. And it was just a wonderful time on a personal level. But for us as an organization, uh, what we have learned is that we can replicate the excellence uh, and uh, care model that we have here at Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio, 7,000 miles away from home, and that we can touch thousands and thousands of lives and transform uh, the, the healthcare uh, in, in a country that is so far away from, uh, from what we call home. Okay. Tom, the challenges and advantages for American businesses in the Gulf are well known. What advice do you have for other Ohio businesses who might be eager to build a partnership with the UAE? Well, I would say uh, the recipe is relatively, relatively simple. Uh, it is all about commitment. Uh, I think there, one has to understand in order to create any lasting value of in, in any relationship. And I believe that Yusuf and I will agree, agree on this one. The, 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 the relationship is extremely, extremely important. And the trust is something that uh, gets earned over time, cannot be uh, dictated. And uh, I, I certainly hope that we have earned uh, our trust over, over the years of our commitment uh, uh, in Abu Dhabi and the United Arab Emirates. And on top of a trust and a really close relationship and a partnership, uh, what is really important is the sense of a persistence and a long-term view. To build, to build Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi, which is the largest medical project, international medical project in the world, 
that was not a simple task. We had no illusions that this is going to be a task that we'll be able to do quickly. Uh, we understood that uh, this is going to be a long journey, continues to be a journey for us, but uh, we are more than happy with the, with the outcome. And if I can add to that, yes. I think one of the reasons that makes this partnership unique and is so successful is because we, have, we came to a joint vision from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. We both knew what we wanted, and then we worked backwards trying to figure out how to accomplish that vision. And we found, I think, both sides. Abu Dhabi and the Cleveland Clinic found very committed partners in, in the other side. We were in this for the long term. And today, even though the clinic has only been around for three years, we're already talking about expanding it. The Cleveland Clinic now, see, Abu Dhabi, sees 400,000 patients a year. Mm -hmm. It's attracting patients from around the world, from 70 countries. And so you've built a state-of-the-art facility that is attracting patients and you know, people to come get their health care in Abu Dhabi that would have ordinarily not come to Abu Dhabi as a, as a location. So that's due to the partnership and commitment where Cleveland Clinic brings in the expertise, the know-how, the doctors, and we provide the infrastructure, the facilities, and, and the financial resources to build it. Excellent. I mean, your point about having people come from around the world who might not otherwise have come to Abu Dhabi talks to some of the really excellent work the UAE has done to expand its economy from oil. Um, what opportunities, in your view, are there for other Ohio business businesses to grow in the UAE? So, you know, during our conversations here, we came up with an idea of bringing some, some trade-related delegations to the UAE to explore exactly the question that you asked. But the sectors that we are very focused on expanding, liberalizing, and developing are things like healthcare and pharmaceuticals, mm -hmm. innovation and technology, security and defense, and, and, and the more we, uh, tourism, healthcare, and education. But these are the types of things that once you define objectives and plans to meet those objectives, it's going to help us diversify our economy from oil and gas even further. And today, 70% of our GDP is non-oil and gas. Today, we get 23 million tourists in Abu Dhabi and in the UAE. More tourists are coming to Abu Dhabi because of Cleveland Clinic. More tourists are coming to Abu Dhabi because of the Louvre. More tourists are going to Dubai because they feel it's safe. And so the more we can develop and advance these types of industries, the less we will rely on oil and gas as, as a revenue. And so that's been our economic vision for the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Anything you want to add to that? No, well, I, I, the only thing that I would like to add is that in my personal experience over the last seven years, uh, one cannot be but uh, in awe of seeing that that vision, the long-term vision that was, uh, that was set many years ago is uh, being followed uh, and uh, the rapidity of the development is amazing. It's mm -hmm. inspirational. Mm -hmm. One of the challenges for individuals and organizations working overseas is maintaining their values while respecting and assimilating into local cultures. Tom, can you share some of the challenges that the clinic has faced while building in the UAE? What are some of the challenges of managing also a multinational workforce? And I want to drill down into that a little bit. So just to give uh, an audience a perspective about what Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi uh, is all about, 
Uh, we are currently have a uh, little over 5,000 caregivers in, in Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi who came to work in Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi out of more than 80 different countries. Okay. So very many of them have obviously never been to Cleveland, and yet we've asked all of them to provide Cleveland Clinic quality of care. So the task for our team in Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi is to educate first our incoming caregivers about what it actually means. And what we have learned in the process are two things. Uh, the first is that the culture can be taught. And the second is that the values that we hold so dear here in Cleveland Clinic, meaning transparency, putting our patients first, working, at, working as a team, treating each other with kindness, are universal values. Okay. They transcend the geographical, cultural, uh, ethnic uh, boundaries, and they were universally accepted by each and every one of our caregivers uh, in Abu Dhabi. And uh, that, that is inspirational. And what we have also learned is that uh, we can replicate the Cleveland Clinic quality of care at a distance. And if you were to compare the performance of Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi today, three years after the opening, a little over three years after the opening, with the performance of any hospital in the Cleveland Clinic system, based on the quality of care that they provide, patient safety, and so on, they would be ra ranking on the top. And in this journey, what was essential for us is not to come into a new country and uh, the new environment uh, with an attitude that we know all the answers, mm -hmm. but rather to use this as an opportunity to learn and to incorporate and adjust uh, the procedures and, uh, and, and, the, and the approaches that we, that we brought here from, from uh, Cleveland Clinic to be in accordance to the local cultural expectations. And this is where partnership is really important. So our colleagues and friends in Mubadala and everyone who we interact with there has helped us, helped us to, uh, along the journey. So you have to be willing to, to learn from each other. Indeed. Can you talk a little bit about the training, that, that part of it, of bringing people from 80 different countries into a Cleveland Clinic frame of mind as far as the services provided, the care that's going to be given? You say that they're universal. Uh, values, but the reality is that uh, healthcare differs all around the world. Yes. So, well, that is true. If you think about the culture in any in any organization, typically the culture, you know, as a set of so to say values and, and habits yeah. in the in the organization is something that people usually absorb over time. Mm -hmm. You just join the organization, and kind of the culture layers over you over time. We have taken a diff different approach uh, when we brought several thousand people in Abu Dhabi and their families, we created an educational curriculum in duration of about six weeks. Okay. Where the first two weeks we spent exclusively speaking about a culture. And not only Cleveland Clinic culture, but Emirati culture. The social expectations in a society, the, uh, the behavioral norms, uh, regulatory framework. But we spoke a lot about how do we take care of each other, how do we discuss difficult problems, what does a Cleveland Clinic means? what do we stand for? And we have done it in a such a way that we have put the nurses and physicians and every single caregivers, finance folks in a group together. Mm -hmm. So they started to learn those values as a team. That is really what Cleveland Clinic stands for. Okay. And to confirm this point, when the doctors and nurses are starting to move to Abu Dhabi, 
the single biggest complaint about setting up and moving and adjusting was not adapting to the culture, was not getting to know the, the lay of the land and the roads. You know what was the biggest complaint? Do we have enough slots for these doctors' children to go for into school. schools? As a former diplomat, I know that. <laughs> Everyone school. assimilated very easily. Yeah. Everyone adapted to the culture very easily. The question is, I have three kids. Do I ha will I be able to get them into a school? That's if that's real. your biggest problem, then assimilating is not a big issue. <laughs> All the, right. the, the part of my job as a chief of staff was to find 350 slots in a school in one year. And you can imagine in any city, you come and say, we need 350 slots for kids, preferably in the best schools, right. uh, you know, three months from now. Yeah. Not easy, but we were able, we were able to, to, do, to do it in Abu Dhabi. And, and that trend continues. And Rakesh Suri, who is the CEO of Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi, mm -hmm. is here today in the audience. And, you know, the continuity of a, of a, of a great work is not only there, but uh, the, the uh, organization continues to excel. Absolutely. Well, I did want to get to that flip side, Yusuf, and that is the latitude that a host nation allows guests when dealing with local culture, mm -hmm. local mores, etc. And although, broadly speaking, the UAE may be one of the easier places for people to come and, and not get in trouble. There are still challenges with that, and I wanted to ask how you, your, your government deals with that, what kind of um, prep do you do with companies that are bringing people in, etc. So we look at the UAE as a very open, tolerant society, and whether it's the Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi or NYU Abu Dhabi, that's another great example mm -hmm. of creating a world-class institution, setting it up with a partner in the UAE, and reaching that joint vision together. If 72 different nationalities were, were not allowed to come get treatment in, in Abu Dhabi, our project would fail. Building a world-class healthcare facility for, to be a local hospital would not be part of what we were aspiring to. So you have to make that decision at the very beginning. If we were going to build a state-of-the-art facility, whether it's a medical center or a university, if you do not follow through with the policies that intend to make this succeed, mm -hmm. then we shouldn't do it in the first place. And fortunately, the UAE, like you said, it's a very open, and it's been rated number one country in the Middle East to the facility of to do business with because these policies are in place. Because these policies, one, reflect who we are, but two, again, if the original goal is to diversify the economy, yeah. and that's what we're, 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 we're searching for, striving for, then you have to implement the policies that allow you to succeed. And so it works hand in hand. Okay, that was a nice answer, okay. <laughs> Given our audience, Mr. Ambassador, I'd like to turn now to the political situation that surrounds doing business in the UAE. We all know that uncertainty, political uncertainty, can dampen interest in even the most attractive investment. Since companies often do business in more than one country or need to move goods and services across borders, particularly in an area that is as closely connected as the Gulf states, I'd like both of you to respond to what advice would you give businesses interested in partnering with the UAE but concerned about the impact of regional conflicts on the cost of doing business, on the safety and security of their people, um, and you know as a CEO, whatever else you do, the bottom line is you've got to take care of your people. 
there are several challenges out there, so I think we can run through them consecutively, mm -hmm. but just immediately, Yemen, Qatar, Iran, and even Israel to a certain extent, mm -hmm. as clashes there, certainly people in the region pay attention to. So Yusuf, I'm gonna ask you to start on that, and then from your perspective, please add. Thank you. If we spend a significant <coughs> amount of time focused on what we need to do to make our country safe and secure. Mm -hmm. And if you just take one anecdotal piece of evidence, like 23 million tourists that have come to UAE in 2017, just to put in perspective, the UAE is a country of 10 million people. UAE nationals are roughly 1.3, so let's say 15% of our own population. 23 million tourists, so almost two and a half times your population. Those 23 million tourists would not come to the UAE if they didn't feel safe. Remember, they're coming to the Cleveland Clinic, they're coming to see the Louvre, or they're coming to shop and spend a good time or hang out on the beach. You would not see that many people if the country didn't feel safe, if the country didn't make, feel, make them feel welcome. So security and what we go through to make people feel safe, to provide adequate security and safety is incredibly important. And if we don't get it right, those problems then be, affect everything else we're doing. Cleveland Clinic would not get 400,000 patients. The, the Louvre would not be getting a few thousand uh, visitors every day. And so security is the framework for what, what allows us to do everything we're trying to do. We're the second largest economy in the Middle East, and so we take great, great strides into protecting what we've built. And so we take our security very seriously, and fortunately, you know, despite what you hear and read about in the Middle East, We've had a flawless track record when it comes to security. We've not had a single terrorist incident inside the UAE. And that's why our progress, our projects, our vision is allowed to continue because we take security so seriously. And, and from our perspective, not only from a business perspective, but also from a personal perspective, one thing that is very unique about uh, UAE uh, is how safe it is and yet how it's uh, the sense of safety is associated with almost invisible uh, police workforce around you. You know, there's no notion of uh, of police workforce or, or military uh, presence. So uh, it is uh, it, it is a really truly a very very safe environment. We have always uh, collaborated very well with the governmental agencies when it comes to the protection of the safety of, uh, of our caregivers. And uh, we have had an exceptional, exceptional collab collaboration there. But we were also the part of the safety network uh, for the entire community. So we take the same role, uh, play the same role in Abu Dhabi as we do here in Cleveland. If God forbid there is a catastrophe or uh, uh, something bad happens in a community, we as a healthcare provider is actually there to take care of our community. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were able to do it on a number of occasions uh, in Abu Dhabi, and we were very honored that we were able to fulfill our promise and our duty there. Excellent. All right, well certainly security is the first thing, as we all know. Uh, but the political issues in the region also have an impact with people's comfort and ease of being in place. I'd like to start with Qatar, since that's the closest neighbor. And as I mentioned, if you have a business that's doing business in the UAE and certainly very likely to be doing business in Qatar mm -hmm. or have goods that need to come and go. And I'd certainly like to hear from you, uh, Yusuf, on 
your thoughts on a way out of the crisis, which is one that the United States is very uncomfortable with, with having mm -hmm. two allies uh, and more um, at odds. And so I would like your views on that sure. as well. So actually, two days ago, I was on the phone with a CEO of a private, a large private equity firm. Mm -hmm. And he asked me the same question is, mm -hmm. what's going on with the Qatar situation? How do you see this playing out? I said, well, it's been uh, a little over a year now, and no one's starving, no one's suffering, no one's dying. We have a disagreement with Qatar. We have a philosophical disagreement, not a policy disagreement. We see a region that is pragmatic, that is civil, that is open, that is tolerant, that focuses on education and healthcare. Unfortunately, they see a region that is more dependent on ideology, on religion, and on extremism. So we have this fundamental difference of what we see the Middle East as. We see 10 years from now a Middle East that looks more open and more prosperous and is more reliant on young people, where they see a Middle East that depends on Islamism, on extreme ideology, on fomenting instability in our own countries. And so until we resolve those two visions of the Middle East, I'm not sure we're going to get the Qatar issue resolved. And you know, we've engaged with the Trump administration a lot on this issue. But this is not an issue that can be addressed by the United States or any other international country. This has to be addressed by us. This has to be addressed between us directly. We're not seeking to increase conflict. We're seeking a change in behavior. And until we reach that change of behavior, until we come to an agreement on what our collaboration on what our region should look like, I don't think that this is going to end anytime soon. The answer that my friend on the phone call gave me, he said, well, you know, we kind of, we've adapted. I don't fly from Abu Dhabi to Qatar, so I fly through Kuwait. I go take a different route. It's not the end of the world. Everyone is getting by okay. And so if you wanted to fly to Doha tomorrow, you probably have three or four different routes you can choose from and flying to Doha very safely and leave very safely. We have taken this decision because of the policies that the Qataris have taken that undermined our security. And until we see a shift in policy, a shift in behavior, uh, I don't think it gets resolved. You make me think of US policy with regard to Cuba. And in the re relationship of you have your positions, you say that it's not going to be immediately resolved, and that's an example of us holding on to a position for over 50 years and it not being resolved. If no one's starving, are you, are you interested in it being resolved, or is the status quo absolutely. sufficient? No, absolutely. We definitely want it to be resolved, but it needs to be resolved by coming together and actually agreeing on the way forward, and I haven't seen that happen so far. So maybe you and I should talk 50 years for Bell <laughs> and see where we are. <laughs> okay, all right. Moving on from Qatar to Iran. Um, we've had a change of policy in our country, which certainly has an impact, and I would like you to speak to that, UAE's position on sure. where the US is. So we've had our challenges with Iran, but. It, what I want to clarify is our problem with Iran is not about the nuclear deal or not the nuclear deal or you know kind of how many centrifuges they are allowed to keep or not keep. Our problem with Iran is their behavior. Our problem with Iran is the role that they play in the region. You know, 
fomenting instability, supporting proxies and terrorist groups like Hezbollah, sending weapons into the Houthis that then ultimately get launched into Saudi Arabia. So the role Iran plays in the region, with or without the nuclear deal, has been incredibly harmful, been incredibly destabilizing. There's a long series of many US officials who have said basically the same thing. If you can point your finger to any conflict in the Middle East, you can trace back some roots to Iran. Um, not very different from Qatar. There is, there is no country in the region that would benefit more than the UAE if Iran was a stable, productive, cooperative partner. Just imagine the amount of trade that we can do with Iran, the amount of investments, the amount of cooperation on energy or culture or you name it. So we are probably better positioned than anyone else should Iran choose to work with its neighbors as opposed to working against its neighbors. And unfortunately, over the last 10 years, we've seen Iran's role grow into one of the largest destabilizing forces in the region. Dr. Kissinger has a famous quote that I like to repeat. He says, Iran cannot choose to be a country and a cause at the same time. You have to be either a country that operates in the traditional Westphalian nation state system, or you are a cause and you export your ideology and your revolution and your theology. But you can't do both. And Iran has masterfully done both for the last 30 years. Thank you. All right. Today we are enjoying a forum with His Excellency Yusuf Al-Arteba, United Arab Emirates Ambassador to the U.S., and Cleveland Clinic CEO Dr. Tomislav Mihailovic. We're about to begin the audience Q&A. We welcome questions from everyone, City Club members, guests, students, or those of you joining us via our live stream. If you'd like to tweet a question, please tweet it at the City Club, and our staff will try to work it into the program. Holding the microphones today are Membership and Customer Experience Manager, Corey Isler, and Youth Forum Council Chair, Teolu Orsonia. Okay. May we have the first question, please? Good afternoon. My question is for Ambassador Oteba, and it occurs to me it's probably a dumb question to ask a, dipl a diplomat. But you've talked today about the success of the Cleveland Clinic. Could you give us, without naming names, one or two examples of a nonprofit or private entity from the United States that had difficulty being a success with UAV? There were a couple think tanks, and I won't name names, but a couple think tanks that did not do well, simply because of the political environment. Um, commercially, very few. I can't think of any commercial entities that failed on a large scale. There are projects that have made money. There are projects that haven't made money. There have been partnerships that were good because they chose the right partner, or they didn't work because they didn't choose the right partner. But on a whole, I would say the, the successes far, far outnumber the failures. And if, 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 I, if that was wrong, uh, the UAE would not be the largest trade market for the United States. And so I, I, think, I think the more we encourage trade delegations and groups to come visit both ways, the more we can reform our system and open up our economy. I don't know if you saw, but recently the UAE announced liberalizing a large number of different sectors that were not open to foreign investment, or at least we're limited. And so that means we are opening up. That means we are opening our markets to you and to others. And to me, that's 
exactly the right direction we need to go to if we want to expand our economy even more. So I, I am very bullish on where the UAE economy is going and very bullish on the potential bilaterally between our two countries. All right, we have a Twitter question next. Please explain the differences in the financial models of Cleveland Clinic in the United States and Cleveland Clinic in the United Arab Emirates. Yeah, I can take this one. So there's one fundamental uh, difference is this Cleveland Clinic in the United States is a non-for-profit organization. Uh, Cleveland Clinic in the United Arab Emirates uh, is a managing partner. Uh, so we provide managing services. Uh, Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi is not owned by Cleveland Clinic uh, Foundation. Thank you all for a very interesting discussion, Mr. Ambassador. Thank you for working with us this morning on the soccer field. That represented a very small but very important investment in Northeast Ohio, but you've talked about being in Cleveland regularly, if you will, over the years. Have you seen, since you've been here, other investment ideas or opportunities that you can share with us for Northeast Ohio? I haven't been here long enough, but I'm open to any suggestions. <laughs> and our, our relationship with Cleveland is very important. And you know, this trip has been planned for quite a while. I think it's been on the books for about five months. And about a month ago, the governor, Governor Kasich, was supposed to be here today. They said, well, he won't be able to make it. I said, I'm coming with or without the governor. <laughs> uh, and so that tells you how important this relationship is. And it's something, if, if it's that important, that means it's important enough to continue to invest and expand. So if you have ideas, I'm all ears. Dr. Mihalovic, Ambassador. Uh, looking at the, the years we spent in Abu Dhabi, building really a blueprint on how to operate a global institution, what's next? And so that Abu Dhabi becomes a piece of the global map that, that is the future of Cleveland Clinic as well. Well, Cleveland Clinic first and foremost continues to grow in Abu Dhabi, so this is not the end of the story. Uh, to the contrary, uh, we're expanding on our already existing footprint. Uh, we're expanding a cancer care in Abu Dhabi, uh, but we also have a growing international presence in other markets, notably our most important international project uh, is Cleveland Clinic in London. Uh, Cleveland Clinic in London is going to be the 220-bed hospital that is located uh, literally next to the Buckingham Palace uh, across the street. And uh, we're very excited about the opportunity that Cleveland Clinic London poses for us as an organization. Dr. Mihalovic and uh, Your Excellency, thank you for being Cleveland at a great institution of free speech. My question is pretty direct to both of you. One is concerns and difficulties with the current administration in Washington related to immigration, the issuance of visas, and how can our countries continue to work well together? Do you have concerns or difficulties about the current sort of appearance of our country in the Middle East right now, particularly as it relates to immigration and visas? So, perhaps Ambassador Winston Lee can, can corroborate my view, but we're, we're called foreign diplomats. And we, we tend to focus on foreign policy and issues that affect our countries. I generally avoid domestic political issues because I think it's inappropriate for a foreign diplomat to comment on domestic issues. Just like I would hope that the, you know, any U.S. ambassador to the UAE would avoid domestic UAE issues. I think it's just not our place. So I think immigration, health care, you know, borders and things like that, I, th I would leave that to local elected officials to deal with. 
As far as the UAE is concerned, I have not seen any drop or any change in visa applications or processes. Our, our citizens are able to come here on a regular basis. So as far as my vantage point, that has not changed. As, a, as an international organization, we have really uh, international organization here in Cleveland and international organization in very many different different places. Uh, we have not experienced uh, any major uh, obstacles uh, with the changes in, uh, uh, in visa. There were certainly isolated cases that we managed appropriately and that they have not been detrimental to our caregivers uh, nor to our organization as a whole, fortunately. And if I may on just a quick question on that checking that there has not been a lowering of people demanding your services and as a former diplomat when we have had unpopular practices US business is often hurt by people not wanting to use them so yeah, what we have observed uh, is a decline in a number of international patients mm -hmm. that come to Cleveland for their care and I believe that that is the result of a number of different uh, changes in a healthcare landscape and geopolitical landscape, or one may be related to, to the ability to access uh, the visa and the ease of getting, getting a visas to get into the United States. Uh, but the other one is that the healthcare is getting better. And uh, there are more and more healthcare offerings outside of the United States. And that's the reason why we as Cleveland Clinic believe that it's our responsibility to come closer to the patients in need instead of expecting everyone to get on a plane and fly to Cleveland Clinic uh, to Cleveland Clinic for care. And by the way, the trend that I just mentioned on the declining number of international patients uh, is uh, the trend that is uh, not unique to Cleveland Clinic, but it is present throughout the United States. It is also even, even if there is even stronger decline of international patients in every European country. So it's an international trend. It's because of Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> have you heard those yeah. numbers? Yes. <laughs> All right, we have another Twitter question, somewhat related to the last one. How have tensions between the United States and Middle Eastern Airlines affected economic relations and the airline industry in the United Arab Emirates? Actually, great question. It has not affected it at all. And I fly home once a month. I'm looking at the flights, and they are fully booked most of the time I'm on there. So. I can tell you from experience, it has not changed the trajectory. On the contrary, more people are flying through Abu Dhabi and Dubai because it becomes a much easier hub and transit point for people who are going beyond to Asia, to subcontinent. Uh, for example, the recent uh, summit in Singapore, I know a lot of my friends in the US media who chose to go to Singapore via Dubai. And so it's actually doing quite well. I would just like to say I've, uh, I've been on a relatively same frequency when it comes to schedule <laughs> between the fl flights between the UAE and, 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 uh, and the United States. And we would certainly hope here in Cleveland that we're going to see Etihad land in Cleveland. That would be, that would be lovely. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put you on the inaugural flight. Uh, I guess I have sort of a, in the same vein, I want to take the opportunity, uh, the advantage of your presence here with us today, Mr. Ambassador, to ask you, what is the UAE's and our other Arab allies' uh, sentiments in the sense of the current uh, U.S. administration's Middle East policy? And I'm thinking in particular level of attention to the region and also certain moves that are a bit of um, departure from previous uh, U.S. administration's positions, in particular the move of the embassy to Jerusalem. 
Oh, it's a great question. Um, the, the truth is many departments in the Trump administration are actually staffed and, and managed by people that we've known for a very long time. So I've known Secretary Mattis for seven or eight years. I've known Secretary Pompeo for a long time. I've known John Bolton from when he was in the Bush administration. So one of our worries was the Trump administration is perhaps we won't know a lot of the people. That turned out to be fortunately not true. So our cooperation uh, with each of those departments, the Pentagon, the CIA, the State Department, and the White House has been excellent. And we're largely aligned on most issues, on most issues when it comes to Iran and the role it's playing in the region, on extremism and how to combat extremism, not just terrorism. We tend to focus on terrorism. It's really easy to be against terrorism, but I think that the ideological foundation to terrorism is extremism, and we have not done a good enough job on that. So on those two fronts, which are easily the two biggest foreign policy priorities for the UAE, our cooperation with the Trump administration is excellent. On the Jerusalem decision, uh, it was an unfortunate decision. It was, I think, ill-timed. I think it makes uh, a two-state solution much more difficult. We've made that view well-known to administration. It was something we thought was probably not the best step to actually get the two parties together. So, you know, there are some things that we are aligned on, and there are some things we are not aligned on. Hi there. The second half of the name of this is the future of Ohio UAE relations. We've talked about health care, and you mentioned education from a different state, but still. Uh, Ohio is primarily agriculture and manufacturing based. What potential do you see for either of those uh, to create new or to expand business through the UAE? A lot of potential, and, and actually in one of the earlier conversations earlier today, I got asked a very similar question. How can, we, how can Ohio and the UAE do more together? And I said, well, let's figure out what Ohio does really well and organize a trade delegation to come to the UAE that will then be mirrored with meetings by their counterparts in the UAE and explore opportunities in any sector that Ohio has a you know, skill set in. And I'm not the person to figure that out, but you know, I've seen many examples of governors or mayors taking trade delegations, taking 10, 15, 20 CEOs to go explore new opportunities in a very fast-growing market. And I would welcome one of those from the state of Ohio and whenever you're ready. <laughs> uh, this is such an amazing international uh, panel, and it's really exciting. It struck me that uh, with all the world experience that's up there, um, Dr. Tom, why did you decide to come to Cleveland? And, you know, Ambassador Gina, why did you decide to come to Cleveland? Well, my decision was pretty easy. I decided to come to Cleveland 14 years ago when I moved here from Boston. So when I went to Abu Dhabi, uh, after having spent seven years here in Cleveland, com was coming back home. So I, uh, I feel very strongly about the city. I, I obviously feel very, very strongly about our, our organization, which I love. Uh, and I'm deeply honored to have an opportunity to represent it and to lead it. So uh, it was a very, very easy decision for me. And it's also a decision that I believe enables us, for me personally, just to a, a, a real continuation of the work that we have started in the United Arab Emirates. Uh, because I believe that this is a wonderful and powerful example of something that we haven't touched uh, upon today. And that is the strength of, uh, of uh, healthcare diplomacy. 
You know, this is not even a term that I believe is coined out there, but I cannot imagine any way in which a country like ours, United States, can transform uh, its image in a positive way and can do so much good and internationally as we could through healthcare. Uh, you know, we've touched thousands and thousands of lives. Our brand recognition in Abu Dhabi is stronger than our brand recognition is in Ohio. 99% people in Abu Dhabi know what Cleveland Clinic is. Tell, tell me the story you told me about the taxi driver. Oh yeah. So <laughs> the story about the taxi driver on a lighter note is if you were to land in, in Abu Dhabi and get into a cab and ask, you say, please take me to, a, to the best hospital. They'll say, they'll say immediately, okay, okay, sir, I'll take you to Cleveland, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and I always use the joke, it's gonna be a really, really long taxi <laughs> ride. So, Abu yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they do not even use Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi. They will take us to Cleveland. I mean, they, they just, uh, this is probably the best illustration about how powerful is the, uh, the transformational force of good. And this is what we do. We do, we do good. And uh, that's uh, the reason why I'm so passionate about uh, our ability to touch, to touch uh, so, many, so many lives in a positive way both national and international. What he said, I mean, mm -hmm. I came back for a visit after being away for about 40 years and saw such vibrancy and potential in the city and wanted to come back and be a part of it. So that's what brought me back. Yeah. Other questions? Touch the mic. Hi, my name is Mary <laughs> Cherhar and I'm from Cleveland Clinic. I've had the pleasure to visit Abu Dhabi for the past three years because we are partners with Cleveland Clinic in educating nurses. And I think that uh, it would be a very interesting point if you would speak to two things about workforce concerns. One is you have assembled a global workforce. You spoke to training the workforce, but I would believe that you also selected the workforce, especially carefully hired to values, which makes it a very interesting workforce to, to suit the population. And then I would also say that the commitment to emiratizing the workforce, can you talk to us about that and what that has uh, in terms of meeting for other industry that would come to the Emirates? That's a great question. We, we went to great length to, to hire an appropriate uh, uh, number, not only number, but a profile of caregivers that are joining Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi. Uh, on the physician side, for 350 open positions that we had at the beginning of our journey, we had more than 11,500 applicants. And 80% of them came from the United States. And the reason for this is there, in, in this country, we have very many uh, physicians, myself included, who were not born here, got trained here, and then when the conclusion of their training, they stay in the United States for a number of reasons, but one of them is that they cannot find a place to practice back home at the level that they're gonna train to practice over here. So they don't want to lower their, their, uh, their professional experience. But once you open that opportunity in the areas closer to home, magic happens. So we went into great length of, of getting a talent there. We, we interviewed every single physician, first in Cleveland, and we always asked our colleagues here in Cleveland to answer only one question. Would you hire this person in the main campus in Cleveland? Only if the, the answer was affirmative, we would invite him for second round interviews in uh, Abu Dhabi 
and they went through 20 interviews before we were to uh, extend them a contract. They have about 30 interviews. So, and that is paid, paid back immensely. And our commitment to emeritization and emeritization is essentially a process of bringing in the, uh, and educating future caregivers who come from the United Arab Emirates, who are Emiratis. We're very passionate about it, and this has been our conscientious effort because we are there to create a lasting legacy, and we can only do it if we get a greater and greater percentage and representation of Emiratis in healthcare workforce. And that has been a great opportunity. And lastly, I'll just say there's an opportunity for us in collaboration with a Case Western Reserve University, our educational partner, and a partner here in Cleveland to contribute even more, I believe. And uh, the ambassador uh, and I spoke uh, before, I think there's a great opportunity to leverage our expertise in education that we have here in Cleveland and put it in a service of uh, already an excellent organization that we built there jointly. So this opportunity. I know that you have a very, very good perspective on, on, on a healthcare needs in, in Abu Dhabi. I think we've started with sort of the Cleveland Clinic, the Rolls Royce of healthcare in the United States, maybe in the world. And so we've built this phenomenal state-of-the-art hospital with expertise and know-how from, from here matched with the infrastructure and the financial resources of Abu Dhabi. But we've built the engine. We've built sort of the most important part of the industry. We still need to do the supporting ecosystem that feeds into that engine. We need to develop nursing and technician schools. We need to develop the familiarity and the culture that surrounds, that lives around a facility of this caliber. And I think that's the next step. <clears throat> interject a question before we take any more. And, and I feel uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Me Too with regard to the clinic and the UAE, because this is an issue that has come up around the world. And I wanted to ask, um, with heightened attention to issues of safe spaces and that sexual harassment and workplace behavior, how has that changed the way you do your training at the Cleveland Clinic or deal with these issues? And in the UAE, Mr. Ambassador, has this come up? Are people talking about it? So. Well, we have, we have certainly uh, recognized that as a risk and uh, as, a, as a potential and a real issue. Uh, we do have a, a structured training. We believe in the power of training. We believe that everything can, most things can be taught. And uh, uh, we do have an educational offerings that are mandatory for all of our caregivers. Uh, they describe in what we believe is a true professional behavior. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but we have an independent bodies that uh, adjudicate any allegation of inappropriate behavior um, in a workforce. And we have a very diverse representation uh, on our committees uh, that deal with such important, important issues. We firmly believe in the safety of the workplace. We firmly believe in inclusiveness. And we firmly, firmly believe in diversity. And when we speak about diversity in Abu Dhabi, we call it diversity, diversity with a capital D, you know, given that you could never be in a meeting when you would have more than two people that were from the same country. Yeah. You know, they're typically, you know, we speak with different accents, we look differently, but we all act as a team. Okay. Presumably not 
too many people of the same gender in those rooms as well. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. And I'll, 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 I'll ask Yusuf to comment, to comment <laughs> on the gender and gender opportunities, which is a, a yeah. not well-known fact about yeah. Abu Dhabi. So I, I think the Me Too movement is a global phenomenon, so everyone's paying attention to it. Now, cultures and behavior patterns are different. Um, if you go into the UAE today, uh, virtually every, every office building is the women outnumber the men, maybe three, sometimes four to one, whether it's in Cleveland Clinic, whether it's in universities, whether it's in the foreign ministry. And so in the UAE, fortunately, the women are very empowered. The women are not held back, uh, not culturally, not socially, and not professionally. And so there hasn't been sort of the outcry that I've seen here, you know, in Hollywood or in media. Uh, not because it doesn't exist, I'm sure there are pockets of it. But the system doesn't allow it. The system um, empowers women on a regular basis way from, from the very beginning at educational levels to professional levels to societal levels. And so I think the UAE has not suffered from this issue because of the diversity and because of the role women play in every facet of society. And I can vouch for that as Kevin lived there, as I said, for, for six and a half years. Uh, the, that is uh, absolutely something that one immediately observes, is the power of uh, uh, that, uh, not the power, just the respect that women enjoy, not only in the workplace, but uh, in general. Mm -hmm. The respect is really important, but the bottom line really is accountability if something happens. Absolutely. All right, I get to ask a question today. Um, so first, to the ambassador. I was in the United Arab Emirates actually almost four weeks ago now. And it was a beautiful country. It was great to see the Burj Khalifa to the Mall of the Emirates. And what surprised me most as someone being in the Middle East for the first time was how different everything was um, from the media portrayal of the entire region. So I want you to speak to how much that affects um, potential business investment and what can be done to change that. And then to both you and the doctor, are there programs where young people to help um, change that perception? Are there programs where young people are able to come to the United Arab Emirates to see the work that has been done there? Great question, and something we spent an incredible amount of time on. So, you know, as the ambassador mentioned, I'm going to be celebrating my 10-year anniversary in this post in about a month. And there's nothing that has taken up a, a single-handedly more of our effort than to educate people as to exactly what you just described. I have to explain to people, our whole team has to explain to people that, wait a minute, it's not what you read about, it's not what you see, it's actually open, it's actually tolerant, and women have played a very, very important and, and, and equal role. Uh, tourists are welcome, all nationalities are welcome, all religions are welcome. Unfortunately, we live in an environment that is increasingly polarized politically, increasingly tribal politically, and you watch and you learn through often media, media that is biased one way or another, and not objective in most, in most instances. So what we try to do is bring, we have dozens of programs that bring groups both ways, from the UAE to the US and from the US to the UAE. But it's not until they actually go there and see it, like you just did, where they understand. And, and when we open up a Louvre or an NYU or a Cleveland clinic, that enables us to bring more people than who see it. So it doesn't 
harm in business. I think business interests fundamentally follow their interests and figure it out better than we do. But the perception of the UAE and how different it is from the rest of the world, especially outside of DC and outside of New York and the major cities, was something we have a long way to go on. But that's exactly why I come to Cleveland and that's why I travel through the United States. We, our entire communication and, and strategic communications effort is directed towards the UAE is different. The UAE is not what you read about in the press. The UAE is not you know, violence or you know, hostile. It's a safe, warm, welcoming environment. And to anybody who's ever been there, they see it for themselves. So what I try to do is encourage more of these exchanges. It's interesting, as I, as I was listening to you speak, I think, you know, we have a similar problem here in Cleveland as well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the mo most people think about Cleveland, you know, say Cleveland, they raise their eyebrows, is that right? And then we as Clevelanders, we go into a default mode, and the mode goes like this. Well, this is a great place to live, great place to raise family. We have great schools, three football teams, orchestra, rock and roll, <laughs> hall of fame. And we do all of that in about three sentences, is that right? <laughs> And, uh, and what, what really changes people's uh, attitude towards Cleveland is when they come and visit. Yeah. Uh, the moment we bring them over the threshold yeah. of willingness to come to Cleveland, Ohio, uh, then you do not have to sell it. Uh, because people see it, people feel it. And uh, it, it is interesting how, you know, we have very many similarities, uh, uh, but I think this, this is the one that just struck me just now as I was, I was listening to you. We're fighting the same battle as a river on a fire, flyover <laughs> city, all of that stuff, you know, we, we have yet to, re yet to recover from that. And just, just to close, 10 years ago, I had to do a lot more explaining. People didn't know the difference between Abu Dhabi and Dubai, for example. And so the role of informing and educating was very, very steep at the beginning. I don't know a lot of people in Washington who have not been to the UAE in the last 10 years, whether it's for business or pleasure or because they had you know, they, someone they know went on a family vacation. So I, I think we are definitely moving in the right direction, uh, but definitely a lot more work to be done. Thank you. Today at the City Club, we've been enjoying a forum with His Excellency Yusuf El Teba, United Arab Emirates Ambassador to the United States, and Cleveland Clinic CEO, Dr. Tomislav Mihailovic. Today's forum is the Ibn Sina Society Forum at the City Club of Cleveland, endowed by Dr. Zia Khan and the fellow physicians of the Ibn Sina Society. Dr. Khan is with us today. Thank you for your continued support of City Club programming. The community partners for today's forum are the Cleveland Council on World Affairs and Global Cleveland. We appreciate your partnership. And lastly, we welcome guests at tables hosted by Case Western, Reserve University, and the Cleveland Clinic. We thank you all for being here today. And that brings us to the end of today's forum. Thank you. His Excellency Yusuf Eloteba and Dr. Mihailovich. This forum is now adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org.
Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the Raskin Family Fund, with additional funding from Robert Conrad, Cleveland State University, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.